one, jumping that thing, baby. Swiss beats, full surface. Saturday, April 10th. Um, my name is Ryan Shepard. This is episode 26 of the Put in the Group Chat podcast. This is a special episode because we are 26 weeks in, which means we made it through half of the year. We made it through six months of podcasting or just about that. Um, but I am here today with, as always with my co-hosts, Gerald and James. How are y'all doing? I'm doing fine, you know, uh, different locale right now, uh, chilling with family in North Carolina. So if my connection bugging, just letting <laughs> you know beforehand. <laughs> this uh, episode is brought to you by Vintage Stock. They have gotten a lot of my money. <laughs> I, I've gone all in on uh, older video games. So that's, uh, that's what I've been doing. So, yeah. It's that's good to hear. Um, everything over here, everything's good. Um, before we started recording, I mentioned my brother. Um, so I just want to say he occasionally listens to the podcast. So I just want to say shout out to him. He is engaged. Um, okay. So the family's getting a little bigger, and I'm gonna be someone's best man, which should frighten everybody. I don't know what that means for me. That means I gotta mm. get up and speak in front of a group of people at a wedding. <laughs> um. But other than that, everything is good. Um, unfortunately, we do have to start with some sadder news. Um, if you are anywhere in the world today, you've probably heard that Earl Simmons, better known as DMX, passed away early today at the age of 50 years old. Uh, he suffered a heart attack, um, reportedly by way of um, an overdose earlier this month. And I said he was 50 years old. Being that we're sports guys, we often talk about sports. We do enter spice music at times, but when we say sports and music are very similar, we're usually talking about rap and there's no one that blend those lines more so than DMX. If you've ever been to a sporting event or just anything sports related in an arena, you've probably heard DMX's music. Uh, before I got on here, I was listening to, um, he has a song called Tear It Up. That's on the NFL Street 2 soundtrack. He's just, DMX is so synonymous just with everything in terms of pop culture. 
And when we talk about greatest rappers or greatest rap careers of all time, he is up there. It's it's hard to name someone who had a who was bigger at a single point in time than DMX was in the late nineties and just extending beyond. Obviously, he dealt with his own issues with addiction, but so many people do. We we talked a bit, a little bit last week about the Derek Chauvin trial, George Floyd, another person battled with addiction. It's just something that's very common in not just in American society, but just in the world. So my prayers go out to the Simmons family and the larger Simmons family. When I say the Simmons family, I don't mean just by last name. If you go through time, just so many different people that DMX has touched. I, one great story about DMX before we get into the show, um, I don't think a lot of people know if you've ever watched Everybody Hates Chris, um, the girl who plays Tasha Paige Hurd, he adopted Paige Hurd when she was like three or four years old because uh, she didn't have any parental figures. DMX, even through all the stuff that he dealt with um, and he went through, he was always there trying to help others. So rest in peace to DMX. Uh, just want to get that out there before we get into the show. But um, today we have a, as we always do, we have a mini game. Um, this mini game is just kind of just guessing. Uh, it's a little bit about get going to quotes, um, but I'm going to give you three quotes. Two, we have audio for one. We just have by um, text. I'm going to ask you two questions. The first question is going to be, did it come from a current player or a former player? And then the second question will be, who said it? I'm going to give you six options, and you can guess which of those six options said the quote. So we're going first uh, with a quote that comes from the world of football. And the quote is, this guy is the reason that Mel Kuyper hates pro days. He was high during the games. I guess I would be high too if I lived in Oakland during that time. Is that a current player or a foreign player? That um, just for a greater context, that quote is about Jamarcus Russell. Mm. It has to be former, right? Gerald's going former. Where, where are you going, Jane? Yeah, I think former. I think it's a former player. Okay, I'll answer that right after the second question. Um, the options for the quote are Shannon Sharp, mm. Warren Sapp, Bart Scott, Von Miller, Demarcus Ware, or JJ Watt. JJ don't insult anybody, so I know that's that's <laughs> completely out. Uh, <laughs> I'd go with I'd go with Sap out of those options, I guess. Yeah, I'm gonna go with yeah, I'm gonna go with Gerald on that one. I'm gonna agree with Gerald because I don't know why. Oh, sorry. I, I was gonna say I don't know why Shannon Sharp will be talking about Mel Kiger. <laughs> that is good. That is a good point. Um, you guys were both one for two. That is it. That is definitely a former player, but the former player is Bart Scott. During wow. um, last week, during 
an episode of Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin. He was asked to name his top five worst quarterbacks drafted in the top five of the NFL draft. And Demarcus Russell ranked number two. And before we get into the next quote, I just want to play a bit of the audio. Let's go to the next one. (laughs) Number three. Before it was Herbert and you were sucking for a duck, you were sucking for this duck, Joey Harrington out of Oregon. Phrasing. Another repeat university. The University of Oregon, man, they just put him up in college and tear the hearts off fans in the pros. <laughs> Joey Harrington, listen, I love this guy because I was able to get some sacks and keep my undrafted ass <laughs> in the league for a little while thanks to his inability to find the rotation of the safety. Love you, but I got to do you. 26 wins, 50 losses. Probably got Matt Miller fired twice. All good, though. Joey Harrington, you're number three. Number two. Number two, <laughs> sipping on some scissor. He's the reason why Mel Kuyper hates pro days. <laughs> this dude sucked as well. Jamarcus, Jamarcus Russell, sipping on lean. The dude was high in the game. I guess I would be high too if I had to live in Oakland. Not a great place <laughs> oh, to live. All hey, good though. Come on. Oh, respect the Oakland. Where's a better place now than Silicon Valley? I <laughs> hooked it up around the surrounding areas. But listen, we should have a trick. And it, listen, the stories of his game prep is legendary. When I say legendary, legendary. We used to do this thing, right, where you say, who's watching film? I don't know. So let's give him a blank CD. Kids, what CDs are now is not what your parents use as cultures now. They actually used to either have film or they used to have music on it. And it was legendary, the fact that Jamarcus Russell would always get a blank CD, and it took him a whole damn season to realize that it was nothing on it because he never watched game film. 18 uh, touchdowns, 23 interceptions, only lasted three. You know how horrible you got to be to be the number one overall pick and only last three years in the league? Terrible. I was the number two pick. I only lasted one year in the league. But you had an accident. <laughs> I was out of your control. Yeah, exactly. you, listen. I can laugh at myself. Yeah, that was Bart Scott. Um, Dang. <laughs> why, Jay Will, why Jay Will do himself like that? <laughs> <laughs> like... Like, man, we know your story, Jay Will. <laughs> Dang. Try to throw himself on the grenade for Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> <laughs> man, I will say, I will say defensive guys don't care what color the quarterback <laughs> is. They just don't like him. <laughs> I was like, because wasn't Joey Harrington black, right? Joey Harrington was white. He's white. Oh my goodness! I don't know that much about. He may be mixed, but I I know he he was white passing. I'll say that. If he was, if he was. And he on and he on ESPN. No, I don't. I mean, he may have been in the past. I don't. I just remember him playing for the Lions for a while, and I he played for the Jets too. Ah, see, I don't know that much about Oregon football. But yeah, that was. uh, That was a lot. That was a lot there. Um, fun fact, he he did that on scripted, so that was all off the top of his head. Those were his real feelings in real time. <laughs> Can't wait. Never forget those Bar Scott. Can't wait. Only to lose the next week. But also on that, um, Keyshawn Johnson, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, he lost his daughter. Um, he called into the show a couple days ago. He's returning to ESPN later this month. Um, so, yeah. Getting into our second quote comes from the world of basketball. 
And it has to do with everybody's favorite playoff team, the Los Angeles Clippers. And the quote is, I've been poor. I've been rich. I've been fat. I've been skinny. I've been old. I've been in the Hall of Fame. And one thing I can always tell you, the Clippers have always sucked. Is it a current player or a former player? I know who that is. <laughs> so former player. It's former. All right. Next question is, who said it? The options are Shaquille O'Neal, Tim Duncan, Stephen Jackson, Charles Barkley, Dwayne Wade, or Paul Pierce? that's another can of worms in of itself (laughs) it was charles barkley it's barkley (laughs) did Did y'all see that uh that clip where shaq said paul (laughs) (laughs) and then everybody said okay we gonna you know focus on 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 on, on Paul Pierce, Paul Pierce. <laughs> we gonna focus on Paul Pierce, <laughs> Ray Allen, and you know Ray. Uh, oh my God! Just, just for reference, here's a quote. Charles Barkley really said the Clippers weren't contenders. Well, let me tell you something, Manuel. I've been poor. I've been rich. I've been fat. I've been skinny. I've been old. I've been in the Hall of Fame. And one thing I can always tell you: the Clippers have always sucked. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> like, I don't like. Are they contenders this year? Yes. Does anybody take them seriously? No. But like, they're they're probably they're probably like they if they're probably gonna come out the West this year. Mm. I I mean, if we if we be honest, like if LeBron and AD are hurt, they're gonna come out the West. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, I mean, they're the Clippers, man. Like, it's not until that confetti comes down, nobody's gonna take them seriously. The Clippers are that friend that always is joking. So when they start to be serious, I don't know if you're being serious because you're always joking. So I can't take you serious as a championship contender when you've been a joke for four decades. Now they haven't been entirely bad like obviously we mentioned Paul Pierce Paul Pierce was part of like the later years of those somewhat competitive Clippers teams you got Blake Griffin you know Chris Paul um who was on that 016 Elton Brand um and then that's that's pretty much it like (laughs) yeah like Danny Manning (laughs) like, like, <laughs> Clippers are terrible. <laughs> 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 they got like the best. They got the best player in the league right now. We talking about how bad they are. Like, <laughs> they can't shake that man. They gonna have to win the chip, man. Um, our last quote comes from the world of basketball. Um, has to do with a franchise that we just mentioned. Actually, we didn't mention, but has also had really bad 
track record, has a bad track record. It's just the New York Knicks. Um, and this has to do with retiring a certain player's jersey. They came to me and said that they were going to retire my jersey. Do this and do that. And I'm like, nah, you can't buy me that easy. If you retire the jersey, that benefits you. That ain't benefiting me. Obviously, that is a – I'm not even asking. Former player. Yes, a former player. Um, Who is that? <laughs> Let me guess before you give me <laughs> options. Is that John Starks? No, that is not John Starks. Okay. okay. One of the options. So we have John Starks. <laughs> <laughs> we have Latrell Sprewell. We have Alan Houston. We have Charles Oakley. And we have Carmelo Anthony. Uh, I mean, Carmelo oh. counts as a former. Nah, I mean, not. Like, you're not. You're not at this point. Soon to be former. I don't know how many years he's gonna want to play after this year. I'd go with Oakley just because the whole like kicking out thing. I think that might just be a PR move. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The trust He seems kind of combative. I it mean, is Charles. Oakley. Uh, Charles Oakley. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know who who is the one that contacted him and asked him if he wanted to retire his jersey because they had to know how that was going to go. Why retire his jersey? Charles Oakley's beloved in New York. He I, is. Yeah, I guess if Nick Collison can get his jersey retired, Charles Oakley can too. <laughs> like that's one of them like Ring of Honors, bro. Like, what do you? What, like, we talk so much about the Knicks being a big market, but they're at the point where they're about to retire Charles Oakley's number. Now, I look so, at Charles Oakley's number. They're not as bad as I thought they were. Nah, I mean, he was – he was – I don't – He was a 10-10 and 10 guy for his career. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could understand why he would average 10 rebounds a game. <laughs> like, yes, I could understand that. Like, with, there were a lot of rebounds to get playing for the Knicks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't, yeah, like, sure. Yeah. Anyway. Also, if I am. A guard, and I see Charles Oakley going for the rebound. I'm not going for the rebound. You got that. Uh, but that brings us to um, just basketball in general. Before, well, shortly after we recorded this podcast last week, the Final Four, both men's and women's kicked off. Um, in the end, obviously, if you've been following it, Gonzaga ended up falling in the final game of their season, ending there. I believe 33 game winning streak with Baylor winning the national title um, by 16 points over on the women's end of things. Uh, Stanford won by two points uh, on a last second stop. So I guess my question to y'all is kind of first, did you guys get to watch either the men's or the women's finals four and two, what kind of, what, what major takeaways did you have from watching both the men's and the women's finals four? I watched both. 
My major takeaway was why is this game at five o'clock with the game with the women's? Like if you're gonna put it on Sunday, okay, that's fine, whatever. But why why is like Mike Trout after that? Like like no disrespect to Mike Trout, like one of the goats, but it's like what what do you what what's going on? Like <laughs> five o'clock, like I would you know, it was Easter. I mean, I was done with dinner, but well, I was like, that wasn't that wasn't the main headliner. Like all that tournament, and that wasn't the main headliner. I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't really make an excuse for that one. Uh, <laughs> I watched both as well. My main takeaway is I feel like it's gonna be unfortunate, but Baylor's kind of gonna be that champion where we kind of look back and we're like. Oh, yeah, Baylor did win that year. Because, like, the best game of the tournament was, like, right before, which was Gonzaga versus UCLA, which was fantastic, the Suggs buzzer beater. And, like, to just end on Baylor just kicking the crap out of Gonzaga, I just think the win's kind of going to get forgotten after a bit of time. It was... There was a lot of takeaways for me. Uh, One was I... We spent, I spent this entire season not caring about college basketball and then being really into the final four. <laughs> I was not entertained the entire season. I didn't even really pay, like we recorded while Ohio State was losing in the first round and I did not care. And we get to the final four and all of a sudden I really care. Now that I'll goes. Take, oh, no, sorry, my bad. I was gonna say my takeaway is if Baylor played in the West Coast Conference, they'd have been undefeated too. <laughs> well, they were almost undefeated playing in the Big Twelve if they had stayed healthy the entire season. They might have been. Oh ah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just hard. It's hard to beat KU at KU, but yeah. But I, that was one of my takeaways. Other takeaway, I said it last week before we got out of here, but Ari McDonald is. I I find few players in basketball more entertaining than her partially because she's an undersized guard and I appreciate undersized guard because I tried to be an undersized guard until I was about 14 years old <laughs> but I appreciate it she's five six uh I don't want to jump ahead to the title game just yet but for her to get away get just getting off that shot whether it was the right shot to take or not in that final moment the fact that she was five six guarded by three defenders who were at least three to four inches taller than her and still got off a clean look is ridiculous. Um, But even in the the final four game against UConn where she had, that is one of the best single game performances I've seen from a college basketball player in a long time. Just, it reminded me almost of one of my earliest members of Arizona basketball, which I guess we'll talk about later with Sean Miller, but Salim Stoudemire, just taking over and almost beating Illinois in the final four by himself. She, they did not just beat UConn. I think they beat UConn by double digits simply off the strength of her. And also for me, it was, it was sort of entertaining. I, I, I enjoy Paige Beckers, but Paige Beckers fans annoy me. So it was kind of interesting to see Arizona players go at her defensively, I think on three or four straight possessions and score every time. In the second half, uh, see, <laughs> I'm with Ari McDonald, but my takeaway for the whole both final fours, I think Juzang got his money up 
<laughs> you know, Juzang yeah. was. I mean, if it wasn't for that shot, like UCLA probably would have won. But mm. Johnny Johnny Juzang, man, he was just like he was a bucket. Like it was just you knew who it was coming to, you knew what was going on. And, I mean, Gonzaga couldn't stop it. That's how you kind of knew Gonzaga was in trouble because, like, Juzang was putting them – was was giving them buckets, and it was like, uh-oh, they're not going to be able to stay in front of Mitchell. But, um, you know, he had the game of his life. I'm not saying, like, obviously, R.A. McDonald's team won and Juzang's team didn't, but I just – that was one of the better performances I have seen. Yeah, those are probably individually, those are probably the two best performance. Juzang almost reminded me of Marcus Page in the title game a few years ago. Because Villanova won the game, we almost always forget how well Marcus Page played in the national title game. And the shot right. he hit right before the Villanova shot, I believe in 2017. But he had a really tough three-point shot. And that almost it's almost like the I think it's – I forget what year it was that Robert Ory took out the Spurs in the playoffs. But right before that, Tim Duncan had hit a really difficult shot off of one leg. Right, overshot. We almost, yeah. we almost yeah. never talk about it because they went on to lose the game. But That, was, that wasn't Robert Ory, though. That was Derek Fisher. That was there. Yeah, it was there. Uh, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I think it was Derek Fisher. Because he hit that point four, and then yeah. they pieced out. Uh, just wrapping that up i also thought of um going back to your point about the um the timing of it it could have been done better but i got for me it was just kind of it's baby steps because i think we talked about it on the phone before it happened like i my whole life i almost thought i was going crazy i was like i always thought the women's championship was on monday i always remember it being on monday after monday or tuesday after the men's championship and no one pays attention to it because it's at like nine o'clock at night and no one's watching it or it's on the same night as NBA on TNT and it's just not going to get those kinds of numbers so they got the lead in with the Lakers Clippers game which obviously would have been better if LeBron and AD were playing but it's it's, it's baby steps maybe next year they'll get it on ABC because they had some of the I don't understand why they had some first round games on ABC but they didn't have the championship on ABC that doesn't make any sense to me but that and also the men's final four with two complaints. Why is Miley Cyrus performing in between games? Whose idea was that? Because she was out there for a good 30 to 40 minutes. Just, just, just performing in front of a half their crowd that's not really paying attention to her. And getting two. their money up. <laughs> and then two, why is the game at 920 Eastern? Why? Because in order for you to start a game at 920 Eastern, the game has to be good. And it was very clear within the first five minutes what this game was about to be. Oh, I thought you were talking about the first, the the national semifinal. No, I understand why those why like the like the late game is that late because there's two games, but right. The national title, why is that 920 Eastern? It's not like they gotta compete with Monday night football or NBA basketball. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know why. Yeah, I can't answer that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was it, was it was a good, entertaining Final Four. 
And I'm interested to see what college basketball looks like next year, especially with our new favorite college basketball coach, Hubert Davis. Hubert Davis. Hubert, I have a white wife, Davis. Um, Hubert Davis is the first black, was hired as the first black coach in the history of the University of North Carolina's men's basketball program. And he was asked what that meant. And he responded in part by, you know, talking about the lack of black coaches in college basketball, you know, was hitting all the good points and then got to the end and wanted to tell us that he has a white wife. I'm African-American and I'm the head coach here. It's significant. Um, I know that in terms of division one head coaches all around the country, only 26% of the head coaches for division one men's basketball are compromised by minorities, specifically African-Americans. I know that it is significant that I'm the fourth African-American head coach in any sport in the history of the University of North Carolina. I'm very proud to be African-American, but I'm also very proud that my wife is white. And I'm very proud that my three beautiful, unbelievable kids are a combination of both of us. So, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. That's unfortunate. <laughs> that's, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least tried to ease into it a little. Like it, it just... I, I, he didn't have to say that. <laughs> nah, that, that's one of those you just could have kept to yourself. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, that's, I don't think it should, I don't think it's one of those things where it's going to be one of those things, but I don't think it should be one of those things where it's like, you know, we just remember him for the rest of his life is that, but it, it, that's what's going to be, but I don't think it should be. Uh, I get what he was trying to say, but mm, that's not, he didn't have to bring his white wife into it. You know, that. That's just not, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the equivalent of saying, like, I got a black wife. Like, if you white, like, uh, who cares? What does that have to do with anything? Oh, you mean like Chet Hanks? <laughs> <laughs> or Gary Owen. Or <laughs> I was thinking more Gary Owen, but yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. That's. That's unfortunate. And like Carolina, you know, the history of Carolina basketball is that of black people. Mm. You know, obviously it's a white school, it's a PWI, no doubt. But um, you know, they were the first in Carolina to integrate, I think. First, you know, um, you know, especially with Dean Smith and stuff like that. But being the first in, and I think something else he got wrong was being the first black coach at Carolina is different mm. than being the first black coach somewhere else. Like Kentucky's had a coach, has a black coach. I Kentucky's think had a black coach. 
Indiana's had a black coach. Carolina now has a black coach, but I don't think Kansas has. I don't think KU has. KU has um, Obviously, Duke hasn't. Duke hasn't. hasn't. I don't think. UCLA hasn't. I don't think. Yeah, UCLA hasn't. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't think UCLA has. Um, and Arizona's open. I don't think they've had a black coach. Yeah, but Arizona's not a blue blood. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's not, you know. We, sorry, but uh, so being at a flag state, flag, you know, being at a blue blood um, like Carolina is is very important. Like that's that's important. Um, I think it's important. Like when Shaka Smart took the job at Texas, yeah, but it's not the same. It's just it's not the same um, for somebody to give a black man the reins of that program. Um, white wife or not is very important. And like for him to say something like that, I, I don't think he understands that no- moment or he's trying to separate himself from that moment that I, I I would think him of all people would understand being somebody who played there. But, you know, I guess he doesn't. So, I'm, It's just the, like that is the closest we're ever going to get in basketball format to I mean, I have a black friend. Like, I I don't think there's any other way to describe that. Uh, I mean, he really did lay out before that moment a really big history about what he's trying to accomplish. And I don't necessarily think he'll be... Because this is always going to be on his ledger. But I think from this point on, you have to make it be, okay, this is just a part of my career at UNC. Not this is what I'm going to be known for. Because if you start winning and if you're a really reputable coach this just kind of becomes a nice little story that people make fun of later and down the road but, but he even, yeah go okay ahead. let's say he wins a national title all right that's still gonna come up because talking about that <laughs> he's only he would be one of only what was it nolan tubby and big john that's one of the national title mm-hmm. so it'd just be them four if he wins a national title and somebody will ask him about that. And then it'll come back to my white wife. <laughs> so I, I think what he said was worse than I have a black friend. Because mm. it's like, it's not, it's not about him. Like, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not I know it's funny. It's it's very funny that he would say that. Like it's a it's a funny moment, but like it's also not funny in the sense that like that's in that environment, it's like, it's really important, especially for recruits to see that mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Like the, um, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but you know, North Carolina's, North Carolina's mascot is like a civil war mascot. Like it's like that, that stuff matters. I, and like, it's not, you know, it's just not, you know, it's not. What I'm trying to say is like with stuff like that, you can't just say, you know, that's all I'm saying. Right. Nah, I get you. I get you. I do think that. I guess my point is, at least if you are a winning coach, or if you're a very reputable coach, it'll only be brought up in like moments. Meanwhile, if you like just completely tank as a coach. That is all you're going to be known for. And I think you would at least want the former rather than the latter. Right. He got us looking stupid, though. 
We was out here rooting for him to get this job. He ain't making me look. See, that's that's one thing. I'm not gonna be out here confused. I don't have any. Obviously, I don't have any issue with love who you want to love, marry who you want to marry. Like you can't help who you fall in love with and who you. Well, you can like just make smart decisions about who you marry. That's that's the point I want to get across. But for me, this is more of a joke than it is anything because, as you said, winning has. It, it trumps all like we talked about briefly about Kim Mulkey either last week or the week before. Obviously, that's taking it to a different level. But if you win stuff, people that the things you say slide, especially in college, because um, we just don't unless you're there covering it or you're li- living in the area, you just don't keep up with everything that the coach of most programs say um, on a day to day basis. And then beyond that, like Hubert Davis is. Hubert Davis went from one bad joke to the next. He went from the guy who got robbed in Biggie's I Got a Story to Tell to this. Did he? Is he the guy who got robbed? No, it was Anthony Mason, rest in peace. But because he was 6'4 or 6'5 or whatever it was, he, he was the guy who got all the jokes. Now he's going to be the guy who gets all the jokes in North Carolina. When he wins the national championships, he's going to be like, is it because you won because you got a white wife? I don't. It's just going to be jokes. It's going to be continuous jokes. The only way he can get away ahead of it is if he makes fun of himself. Now, I don't know how that would go over in his own household if he starts making jokes about that, but that's the only way that this thing could possibly be mitigated if you start, one, winning, and then, two, making, just poking fun at yourself. Because uh, we obviously, we don't, none of us watching, or the majority of us watching Hubert Davis don't know Hubert Davis on a personal level. So, like, the, all the stereotypes that we put around black men or black women that date white men or marry white women um it's we put those stereotypes on people i don't know hubert davis as a person from a can of paint so like like he could he could defy all the stereotypes that people would put upon him because he married a white woman and we also don't know his wife i have never seen hubert davis's wife so we don't know anything about their relationship. To me, it's it's just funny, man. Like it, he just threw that in there because it was the last question at a forty-five minute press conference, and that's how he's going out. So to me, it was just it's, it's funny, man. <laughs> but uh, moving on to something that's a bit more serious. Actually, I can't even say it's a bit. It's a lot more serious. Uh, Deshaun Watson has been dropped from Beats by Dre. Uh, he was also dropped by Rolex. He had partnership deals with sponsorship deals with both of those. Nike has suspended uh, their sponsorship of Watson as well. And it appears that the Houston Police Department has now entered a has began a criminal investigation into one of the complaints that was filed. Deshaun Watson, simply put, is just in a lot of trouble. Obviously, there's only so much we can go into this because a lot of this is just playing out in court. Um, one thing that I did read earlier today is that a judge ordered that the woman's, that a one woman who is suing Deshaun Watson must clo- disclose her name. Now, this isn't completely out of left field, um, given the specific case. And already one of the women that it has accused uh, Deshaun Watson of sexual assault has already gone on record in front of a camera and kind of opened up about everything that she alleges happened between her 
and Watson, it just gets to the point where we start. Personally, for me, I don't like having football conversations about this because this to me is so much bigger than football and him, his ability to play. If he gets exonerated of all this and all this stuff gets cleared up, he'll play. If he doesn't, he won't play. Um, and to be, uh, honest, to be honest with you, it for, because it's the NFL, is if he doesn't get arrested, he probably will play. I was about to say, yeah, I was about to say, I, I would have to disagree because Ben Roethlisberger is still on the NFL roster. Yeah, um, well, I guess my question to y'all is, is it a foregone conclusion that he's going to end up on the commissioner's list at this point? Uh, believe, I think so. What you think, Gerald? I think so. I think part of me that's holding back from saying yes is you would think they would have pulled the trigger the moment that this became a criminal investigation, but it seems like the league has... Like, I don't know, because they didn't... Well, they did actually... I don't know. I, I don't know if I would actually say they would put them on the exempt list. I still think they're waiting to see how this shakes out. But then again, I think this is more than the Kareem Hunt thing in some cases. So I don't know. I really like this is an interesting situation, honestly. Yeah, Kareem Hunt. There's a video. I mean, that I, because he wasn't on the commissioner's exempt list when it first came out, right? Uh, yeah. So that that didn't happen until you know the video. So I I don't know. Um, I think I think he probably will be on that exempt list because they don't really have to wait till it shakes out because that's the whole point of the list. Mm-hmm. But I don't I, I could see I could see both sides of it, but I, I think he'd probably be on there. I, I just, don't think he's playing week one. Yeah, I don't understand why he's not on it for the simple fact that they can't trade him. He doesn't want to play for the Texans and he has this legal matter. He's not playing regardless of whether he's on the exemption exempt list or not. So I don't know why he's not on it already. Right, right. Like there's no instance in where Deshaun Watson obviously not going to be at OTAs. He's not going to play in the preseason. And as we just saw with the Panthers playing for Sam Darnold, which is an, it's an entirely different discussion. Um, right. Panthers aren't taking them. 49ers, obviously, as we talked about last week, they're not taking them. Yeah. They aren't trading for them. I hope to God Peyton Manning isn't considering, I mean, not Peyton Manning, John Elway is not considering trading for Deshaun Watson. Um, there's just no, there's no place for him to go. He doesn't want to be at the organization. Why? It's at this point, it's for me, it's a no brainer mm. at this point, because it's not going to hurt him in the court of law. And it's not going to hurt him really in the court of public opinion, because the people that think he's guilty already think he's guilty. And the people that are going to, say that he's not guilty are going to say he's not guilty. And the people that are waiting on the facts, they're going to continue to wait on the facts. It's, to me, it's just, an NFL, just cover your ass. Uh, but wrapping things up, because we're coming up on the hour mark. Uh, basketball, going back to basketball, we have, I don't say developments in the NBA, but just things that that are coming up now because I guess LeBron and AB aren't playing. So now the dominant storyline. Where who else can win the West? Could it be the Suns? Could it be the Jazz? Could it be the Nuggets? 
I ain't gonna be the sons. <laughs> I ain't gonna be the sons, bro. Uh, <laughs> I I guess I have to ask y'all. Um, one, did you guys catch uh, the the Jazz game, the Jazz Suns game earlier this week? And two, did you walk away thinking that either one of those teams could be a less than 100% Lakers team in a seven-game series? What, what's going to beat the Lakers is they have to play that play-in tournament, you know, because, you know, if you – you know that 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 reduces it to a single elimination or whatever. Um, so that that would be it, that stuff. But I, I don't think either one of those teams can beat the Lakers. I mean, yeah, if they less than hundred percent, yeah, for sure. But I don't. I'm beating the Lakers because you know if you don't have to depend on Montrezl Harrell to do, you know, to, you know, produce at a high rate, you know, and you got similar rotation to last year, except for Rondo, you should, should be all right. Like Rondo's a good shooter and he's a good playmaker, but I don't think he's irreplaceable. So, you know, um, it, it's helpful. Mm. I, I, well, one thing about the Lakers is though, like, is anyone really worried about LeBron? Like, let's be real. LeBron's probably going to be fine by the time we get to playoff time. I think Anthony Davis with the Achilles is really the one that I don't know whether to call if that's concerning to me or not. And if Anthony Davis is less than 100%, I could see a road where the Suns outshoot the Lakers because they have a lot of three-point shooters. We know Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, uh, Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson. I could see them maybe out shooting the Lakers in like a seven game series if AD isn't healthy. The thing that's going to shoot the Lakers in the butt, though, is a lot of players that didn't do much that first time around is going to have to show up. Like Kuzma was kind of on and off. Taylor Horton Tucker did, barely played. Now he's going to be getting big minutes. I There's a lot of pieces for the Lakers that are going to have to do more than they did the last time around. And I don't know if they're ready for that yet. I don't believe in the Suns, but that's okay. I mean, I just don't. Like Devin Booker, I've never seen him play in the playoffs. Um, like, the game's going to slow down. You're not going to be able to, you know, everybody's not going to be able to run up and down and just shoot threes. So, I mean, sure, I, I think I think they have options on the offensive side of the ball, but – I don't think they want to see the Lakers either. No. And then the Jazz, like, I think the Nuggets are going to be pretty all right. Um, but, like, the Jazz, like, I mean, what's Rudy Gobert going to do with Anthony Davis? Like, it's not it's not going to be pretty. But, um, yeah, I, I think the Lakers should win, but we'll see. They didn't shoot well last last year. That I mean, that's just what it was. Right. So if they can get some timely threes, yeah, they should be able to win. But you know, can I? But that's the thing, though, right? Like AD is the question mark. So like, if AD is on like let's say minutes restrictions or 
you know, knock on wood, it doesn't happen, but the Achilles comes back. Like, the Jazz do have some type of defense because, like, who are you throwing out there now? Like, Marcus Gasol, Rudy Gobert can do fine against him. Like, Andre Drummond, we know he's not efficient. Right, right. No, that's that's true. That's true. But, I mean, I don't think they're looking for Andre Drummond to do as much as we think, like, the buyout guys are usually like, oh, okay, that's a big name. He made an all-star team before, uh, but, like, he didn't really do anything right, right? <laughs> so it's like, I'm not too worried about, like, if it comes down to, like, LeBron and Andre Drummond, then, like, yeah, maybe the Lakers are in trouble for sure. Uh, but other than that, like, I mean, LeBron AD, that should, that should work in the West. And I think they're going they're gonna to make sure it works in the West, you know. So, yeah. Do you think that either one of these teams will beat the I mean the Nets in the Eastern Conference? If it if if the Nets happen to get to the NBA Finals, no. <laughs> yes, I think the Lakers can beat the Nets. Yeah, I think yeah, I think they're big. Uh, uh, I guess they have bodies they can throw at AD, but neither Lamarcus Aldridge or Blake Griffin can move like that. Um, and then, you know, you know, Kyrie, uh, the, the thing about, uh, James Harden might be fresh. That might be the problem. But other than that, like, I think, I think the Lakers could beat the, beat the Nets. All right. Um, kind of wrapping things up. I just want to touch on some things that we didn't necessarily get to to talk into in depth this week. Um, the reason I mentioned that's on um, Kevin Durant came back after missing almost two months um, and arguing with Michael Rappaport um, to play against the Pelicans. <laughs> um, he looked fine. Um, as I feel like every every player that's come off of the Nets that's had missed time at some point has just come back and looked magically fine. Like nothing ever happened. Kyrie's came back and looked magically fine. James Harden, same way. James Harden lost 20 pounds in the span of two days after leaving Houston. Um, but beyond that, um, on to Saturday news, um, a former NFL player uh, by the name of Philip Adams uh, killed himself and five people. Um, his brain is now being tested for CTE. Um, so I want to send prayers out to the people that um, lost their lives um, and also out to any and all football players out there dealing with any type of brain issues or just just the after effects of playing football. Um, adding context to Deshaun Watson conversation, I just read as we, as we were talking that his lawyer, Rusty Harden, came out and said that some of the interactions between the, I guess, masseuses and Watson were considered consensual encounters. By Watson, this, without me saying what I really want to say is, Jesus Christ. That's not a good defense. No. I have never in my history, in my 25 years of life, I have never heard of a man saying it was consensual and the woman saying it wasn't consensual and it going in the man's favor. 
I've just never heard of that. The second you say that something took place and there's a question of consent, you are in trouble. Um, but beyond that, um, we did mention that Sean Miller is out at Arizona. And also just touching quickly on, we, we touched periodically on um, FCS football, but number one, James Madison is being ordered to play Richmond because they're in the CAA conference and they can't qualify for the FCS playoffs despite being the number one team in the country because they've only played four games and they haven't played a home in-conference game, which is required. Um, but adding on to that, uh, also Deion Sanders, who we talked about at Jackson State, and we basically all said that he needs to make a commitment to the school and do more than just being there to prop himself up. Um, he did land a Pepsi sponsorship for the entire SWAT conference that's supposed to cover all football and basketball championships uh, over the next three years. Um, Ooh, okay, I see. Dope. So there's Dope. that. Uh, nothing really out of the world of boxing. Thank God no more old men are getting back into the ring. And last two things, Trey Lance signing up for a second pro day. Uh, which is more football games that he's played this year and ending on. <laughs> Why would he do that? <laughs> he's going to be, he's going to be a top eight pick. I guess, Bruh. I guess he wants to see if there's a chance he can like catapult himself to like three, I guess. I don't know. No. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, last thing um, this week upcoming, we have Jackie Robinson Day, um, which is day in baseball. Everybody comes out, different franchises honoring the legacy of Jackie Robinson, the man who broke the color, ba- color barrier in Major League Baseball. It's a day that's near and dear to me um, as a member of the Jackie Robinson Foundation, having been in many ways helped out by not only Jackie Robinson's wife, Rachel Robinson, but also their kids and their grandkids who have helped me and continue to support so many other kids. I I cannot begin to tell you the amount of ways that the Robinson family has not only impacted Major League Baseball, but just impacted just kids, like just just college students. Like if you want to tie it back to the world of sports, um, one of the most famous um, JF, JRF alumni is Patrick Aaron, who is a defensive assistant for the New York Giants. Um, if you want to go to movies, Nate Moore, the head of Marvel Entertainment, Jackie Robinson, Foundation Scholar, we could go down the list of just different people that they've helped with. For me, um, just personally speaking, like I can tell y'all about like the time I finished my junior year of college and had a 0.7 GPA. And the only way I stayed in college was because of me begging to American University, but also Jackie Robinson getting me through that tough period in my life. Mm. And I, as I said before, Jackie Robinson, the man extends so much far beyond a baseball diamond. It lives on in his family. Um, and make sure that when you recognize Jackie Robinson, you recognize Rachel Robinson, because without Rachel Robinson, there's no Jackie Robinson. Without no Jack, without Jackie Robinson, there's no Rachel Robinson. They supported each other in a way that is 
you'd be lucky to have a friend that supports you in the way that those two supported each other in their lifetime. So I just want to shout out Jackie Robinson, shout out Major League Baseball. Um, and yeah, just just recognizing them. Um, and before we get out of here, again, rest in peace, DMX. Um, remember to give people their flowers while they're here. While I've been on here, been giving my flowers um, Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg's wine. <laughs> um, just just shouting out, just 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 rest in peace, DMX. That's all I gotta say. Uh, but without further ado, that is episode twenty six of the Put in the Group Chat podcast. Make sure that you follow us on YouTube, Twitter, uh, any platform that we have. Yeah, put in the group chat podcast. And without further ado, as we've been doing over the last few weeks, I'll send you out to an interview um, that we were able to do with Corey Smith, who's management staples, Dave Chappelle, just a number of different people. Um, it's a short 15 minute interview. Um, but yeah, that's the end of the sports coverage. And I'll send you out to the interviews, episode 26 of the Put in the Group Chat podcast. Peace. Kind of way I get ready for interviews, I kind of just watch a whole bunch of stuff and kind of, or listen to a whole bunch of interviews they've done in the past and kind of come with adjectives that kind of go with what I'm seeing or with what I'm reading. Um, so I guess the first adjective that I came up with was impulse. And it made me, cause I'd read a, well, two stories. I'd read um, a story that story about the Mickey Mantle card that you had that you originally wanted to sell to get a Jeep but you kind of held on to it and then you sold it eventually and you didn't use it for the Jeep, but you used it to start your career. And then another story I read that you one day when you were at Morehouse, you saw a Confederate flag near like a dorm construction and you pulled it down. Um, So I guess those kind of things just made me think like you make a lot of, I guess, decisions in the moment that kind of eventually pay off later, but you remember and kind of define you later. So kind of thinking about how that plays into Blacksmith Radio, I guess my question to you is what, I guess, triggered in your mind to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to join Sonos Radio and I'm going to launch Blacksmith Radio? It's, it's, it's always been, my life is, 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 is truly a blessing, right? It's, um, uh, I'm, I'm the, I'm, um, I'm the Forrest Gump of of my my friend group you know my, my community like literally like how you watch that movie and he's always at the right place the right but like he was always he was like at every event that yeah. we ever had in history he was there like that's like me right so so you know you know brian beck was was a a friend but more a business acquaintance that i had met through doing um the prima donna um, launched. Like we had done a short film for Prima Donna for Vince's project and I wanted a place for it to be. And so we cold called Sonos and we met Brian and they thought it was a great idea. Like it wasn't like we had like some relationship that, that before this and we did a great event with them at the, they were launching their Soho store where they had this thing. And so then through time, we just stayed in touch with each other. Um, you know, he helped me with, you know, system, system, my house with Sonos, things like that. You know, like he was a, always a good friend. And I had this idea called the Blacksmithsonian. 
a long time ago. And I was going to tell my stories, like these Forrest Gump stories. And, um, you know, one day I got a call from Brian and we were just talking. I don't know if I reached out to him just in a catch up, but it was right in the pandemic. Uh, we I reached out just on a catch up and we started talking and through the talk and he was telling me what they were doing. They were about to start this HD program. And I said to him, hey, you know, I had this idea and it was kind of like the Black Sony, but I think that I would actually it could be really fun as a radio station if I go and I start interviewing my friends, people that I've been in you know, contact with, you know, people who I've worked with through the years and create this station based on not only my taste in music, but the people that I've worked with and also being able to have these conversations because people don't know how intricately involved I've been in some things that they love. Uh-huh. And they also don't know how deep my relationships with these people are. And I'm getting to the age where I, I kind of need to tell my story. Yeah. And so that's that's what happened. You know, um, I've been such the um, I've been I played the backfield, you know, or the, the yeah the, the back uh, so for so long that um, I don't think it's been necessarily beneficial to the greater story of my life, but it's been beneficial for the other people that I've worked with along the way. And so this was just an opportunity to uh, pay homage also to them. Mm-hmm but also pay homage to my love affair with music and, and my love affair with these creatives in the sense that I, 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 there's nothing like creating something or being part of something that's being created from someone's, um, someone's thoughts or, you know, participating in that space. So that's how I got here. The impulse has always been this, this, this love of creativity, this love of, of art, this love of music. So, so when you draw that parallel to, you know, the impulse was, hey, I wanted a Jeep, but then my friend said me not to act on that impulse. So I didn't do it because it's my best friend. Ian was like, hey, and he gave me a book. And I was the type of kid who would read, you know, like I got books all over my house, like, you know, on the floors, there's books everywhere, right? So, um, but the impulse for the flag was I saw something. I didn't have a, a connection to the Confederate flag really outside of the Dukes of Hazards. Like, you know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a kid from New York City. It just wasn't a bunch of Confederate flags flying around. But my instinct, you know, the thing that innately is in me told me, oh, hell no. And I climbed up on the top of the new dorm, which became Kilgore yeah. at Morehouse. And, and, you know, I could have fallen and died for sure, but I was going to get that fucking flag. Gotcha. Um, you kind of answered the next question I had, which is going to be like, why? Cause I think a lot of people don't know the managers behind a lot of different artists and people that kind of connect different people in music. Um, but you mentioned also that you wanted to bring to light some people that have been behind the scenes that maybe have not gotten their flowers or people just didn't know. Who are some of like, when you think of people that I guess you think should or could do what you're doing in terms of bringing background stories to light. Who are some of those people in hip hop that people may not know that could probably or should probably bring their stories to light through a podcast or a documentary or something so that these stories are kind of documented and kept for future generations? You know, what comes to mind for me, man, like, and it's sad because the ones that come to mind have passed away, you know, 
but uh, Dominic Trenier, you know, Dominic was my friend from my youth. Uh, and Dom started a company called Chiba Sound. Dom managed D'Angelo. You know, he, he was a great, uh, Rich Nichols, who was down with the Roots early on, managed the Roots. Rich Nichols was a trailblazer. Um, you know, it, it's, it's those type of people, you know, who I feel like played parts in things that I was able to witness and see. Um, you know, there was a lot of us that were around. We were a group of kids all trying to make something happen. You know, Shakir, uh, you know, Stuart, he, he, he should get his flowers, you know, um, Chris Lighty should get his flowers. Uh, and I think people have given flowers, but they, I don't think they realize how, what that path was. You know what I mean? Like, Chris was baby Chris, you know, when, like when I was starting out, we were all just, everyone was just getting their footing, man. Like there was no, it, it was literally, you could decide what you wanted to be. And if you were serious about it, people were going to take you serious about it. That's at least how it felt for me. You know, yeah. I can't say what everyone else experienced, but I know when I told Jeff Dixon, I was going to be a manager because, and he was a manager managing brand Nubians and Grand Puba and all that. And I told him I was going to be a manager he took me serious, you know. I know when I sat down with Bruce Carbone for the first time as an intern and then later saw him, you know, as a manager, like these people, they took me serious. Jeff Finster, Wendy Goldstein, uh, you know, they all took me serious. Fred Davis, they took me serious. So Burt Padell, you know. Um, so but when I think about the people that I know and I love so much that passed away, I really, really wish they were here because I know that they would – they would kind of set a lot of stuff straight, which I wish could happen. Because yeah. it ain't, it ain't not always for me to be out here yapping like, man, yeah. that, that's not how it really was. Yeah. Um, but I would like, <laughs> I really would like for them to set the record straight on a lot of little things. Um, but, you know, they were all friends at the end of the day, like that, that, that at one point in time, for sure, every last one of them helped me along the way. Gotcha. Um, so for the, like the first episode, I know you interviewed Common and you talked a lot about kind of like his, his really early works and how he, how he came to be Common. Um, and it made me also kind of like look into like you coming up through Morehouse and that's kind of the reason why I asked the question because I, my older brother went to Morehouse. So that's, that's a place that's always near and dear to me. Um, and just kind of thinking about how you got your start there, thinking how it's been. 25 plus almost 30 years like when you look back at it that period in your life where you were working at mercury or you were getting your start and managing artists what is the biggest difference between managing an artist in 1993 or 1994 to today like what are what are the biggest differences that you see um i had my first group signed in 1991 1991 to 1992 right uh-huh. And it was a group called Y'all So Stupid. And um, I didn't, the difference for me uh, is that I learned. You know what I mean? I think the artists themselves are, the real ones, the true ones are, are traditionally all the same. You know, they, there's, there's something in them that they need to say, something in them that they need to do. So the difference for me through the years has been um, sharpening my tools to do my job more efficiently, um, uh, almost so that it seems effortless, you know. Um, 
uh, forging stronger relationships. I think the big shift right now is, you know, even before COVID, but it's really, really paying attention to the digital space in such a way that you have to learn how to manipulate the internet and the things that are happening on the internet versus um, one of my superpowers has always been uh, live performances and being able to uh, put together those type of environments and shows and foster relationships with promoters and, 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 you know, from live nations to AEGs to, you know, another planet to, you know, uh, you know, just these companies that I could always depend on to support my acts, you know? And, um, I, I think that, you know, today it's almost harder to be just a successful music artist uh, than it ever was. So I think that part has shifted. And um, but music is a great, still a great marketing tool. But you got it has to be more than music, is, is what I know. So I don't know if that answers your question in a nutshell, but no. but, that, but that's where I see the difference. I think my job has gradually grown from just loving music to looking at individuals and being able to understand revenue streams, understand bottom lines, understanding, um, you know, how to really see what the next 10 to 15 years of their life can be uh, if we stick to a plan. Awesome. Uh, going off of that and just also like speaking to like your conversation with Common, I think one thing that struck me is is that a lot of artists now, I guess that are coming up that I see don't do interviews as much. You don't see Lil Uzi doesn't do interviews as much. I was having a conversation with my friends, like, I don't think I've ever seen the weekend do an all camera interview in his entire career. And I'm kinda thinking about that in terms of like your your show in terms of like just speaking to artists that have this long history and have built this legacy, but I've seen them do interviews and time and time over. What do you think has been like, I guess the biggest shift in how artists approach media in the time that you've been managing artists? It's funny because um, I think media or press did themselves a disservice along the way. I could see how, because I personally would think that most people who are doing press and doing interviews are true fans of the thing that they're interviewing, right? Or the people they're interviewing or the crash, right? Or they used to want to be an artist or, you know, so there's something that happened along the way that got people to that point. And I think that it, even back in the Mosin Kuali days, there was a, there's a guy who I know really well who wrote it, wrote a review. And I remember most being very upset about that review. And it wasn't because someone had something to say. It's just about how you say it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, the, and it's the, it's the tone and it's because artists put their, their, their neck on a line and they're sensitive about the, about what they're creating. I don't care what any of them say. If they say they don't care, then they're lying to you because if you didn't care, you wouldn't do it. Right? Like, so. So when you have these people who judge what you're doing and they're not really able to do what you do, it's a weird place yeah. to be. And so I know why people pull back or why people are like, well, why am I? Because 
and, and you got to realize that Jay-Z also made that statement that I think resonated in a huge way, where it's like, you need me to sell these magazines. You need me to push these blogs. So when that statement came out into the world, and it was like one of the biggest artists made that statement, I think other artists realized, yeah, yeah listen, I'm on page five, I'm on page six, but the fact that I'm on page five and page six matters because without- I just want to thank you all once again for supporting this podcast, listening to this episode. And if you listen to any episode before, thank you, thank you so much. For us to get through 26 weeks is incredible in a lot of different ways. I really want to thank James for having the vision and having the belief in this podcast. I want to thank Gerald for always coming and offering new ideas. And I just want to thank them both for making the time, the effort, and just sitting around and just talking sports. I think that a lot of people get into podcasting because they want to make money, they want to do this and do that and the third. And while, yes, I want to make money through this podcast eventually one day, but the, the joy as we reflect on the life of DMX and so many others that may have lost their lives recently to COVID, to addiction, to whatever, you want to enjoy those conversations you have with your friends, your loved ones, and beyond, and just the people that help you get through each day you want to celebrate them and celebrate the time that you have with them so that's what i try to do with this podcast and i hope that by sharing it with you guys you learn a little bit about sports that's that's what we want or learn a bit learn a bit about our opinions about sports but what i really want everyone to get out of this podcast is just enjoy those conversations that you have with your friends and your family and so forth so to end me rambling uh, you can catch that entire interview with Corey Smith coming out on DefPen.com on April 22nd. You can catch this entire episode anytime you want. It's on demand. It's free. And you can catch us next week with episode 27 on Saturday, April 17th. But until then, peace. I come to you hungry and tired. You give me food, let me sleep. I come to you weak. You give me strength, and that's deep. You call me a sheep and lead me to green pastures, only asking that I keep the focus in between the chapters. You give me the word and only ask that I interpret and give me the eyes that I may recognize a serpent. You know I ain't perfect, but you'd like me to try. Unlike the devil who just wants me to lie till I die. Lord, why is it that I go through so much pain? All I saw was black. All I felt was rain. I come to you because it's you who knows. You showed me that everything was black because my eyes were closed. You gave me the light. And let me bask in your glory. So it was only right that when you asked for this story, I put it together to do our dogs some good. Our dogs being brothers and sisters in the hood. Plenty of times you sent help my way, but I hid. And I remember once you held me close, but I slid. There was something that I just had to see 
that you wanted me to see so I could be what you wanted me to be. And I think I've seen it because I don't feel the same. Matter of fact, I know I've seen it. I can feel the change. It's strange. I almost got me beating down your door. But I've never known love like this before. It's a wonderful feeling to get away from the pain. And up under the ceiling, I get away from the rain. And the strain that I feel when I'm here is gone. I know real, so I wipe away the tear. It's on. And I almost lost faith when you took my man, Monty, Paso, and Dre's brother Dan. And I fear that what I'm saying won't be heard until I'm gone. But it's all good, because I really didn't expect to live long. So if it takes for me to suffer, for my brother to see the light, give me pain till I die. But please, Lord, treat him right. <laughs>